Paralysis. We interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed. The flying saucers are real. That was the Clatters recording. Too real. We switch you now to our on-the-spot reporter downtown. Come on, baby, let's go downtown. Take it away, John Cameron Cameron. Uh, this is John Cameron Cameron downtown. Uh, pardon me, madam. Would you tell our audience what would you do if the saucer were to land? Just like in the ele- Thank you. Another thing, gentlemen, there. What I'm gonna do is hard to tell. Uh, the gentleman with the guitar. What would you do, sir? Would you take a walk down the street? Thank you. We return you now. was the Pelican's Outer Space recording Earth. I've just been handed a bulletin. The flying saucer has just landed. We switch you again downtown. Uh, here we are again. We have with us Professor Sir Cedric Fentingmold of the British Institute. And the professor is approaching the saucer to see if there's possibly any sign of life aboard. Well, I'm sure something. Are you there? I hear you now. That was Laughing Lewis's record, Knocking. This is John Cameron Cameron on the spot. And now I believe we're about to hear the words of the first spaceman ever to land on Earth. Oh, bam, 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 boom. And now, here are the bowl scores. Four to three, six to two, and eight to one. The impact of seeing the first spaceman has this reporter reeling. Here I go. That was the Clatters again, with their big one, Uh-oh! This is John Cameron Cameron again downtown. The spaceman has returned to his ship and is taking off. We return you now to our studios. The flying saucer has gone. There is no threat of an invasion. However, the flying saucers are still around. not going to interrupt this record. Yes, we are. The flying saucer has landed again. Washington, the Secretary of Defense has just said... That, a shame? that was Skinny Dynamo's record. That's a shame. This is John Cameron Cameron Part 2. Gathered around me are several of the spacemen. Tell us, have you come to conquer the world? And now would you repeat that in English? Don't want the world to have and hold Hey, why don't you go back where you came from? Don't be angry And drive me away We return you now to our studios Here is a news item from Washington The president has just issued a statement to the spaceman and we quote You can do anything for me off of my blue suede shoes That was Pa Gherkin's record, Shoes we switch you again downtown. This is John Cameron Cameron downtown. Uh, Professor Cedric of the British Institute, tell us, uh, how were the saucers able to land? Where do you see the motor cooled down, the heat went down? That was Huckleberry's recording, 
The motor cooled down. Uh, this is John Cameron, Cameron the game. I believe the spaceman has a final parting word. See you later, alligator. We return you now to our studios. The spacemen have gone again, but look to the skies. The saucers will always be there. Always be And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, Buchanan and Goodman with Flying Saucer Part 1 and Flying Saucer Part 2. And today on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Richard Dolan, UFO researcher Richard Dolan, who's part of the Modern Knowledge Tour that is happening tomorrow at Library Square in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Richard Dolan, UFO researcher, today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And to get you ready for Richard Dolan, thought that I would play a bunch of UFO saucer-related tracks. Gonna begin with something by Jerk Ward, featuring Steve. Stephen McBean of Black Mountain and the Pink Mountaintops when he was a very young child. We're going to hear Jerk Ward with UFO from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, and then a whole bunch of other UFO flying saucer attackish type tunes on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show.
Down the street one dark and stormy night I saw a flying saucer land Oh, it was such a sight It spun around and opened up And much to my surprise I discovered it Right before my eyes Oh, I discovered it 
right before my eyes. I picked it up and ran to town as happy as a king. I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything. But this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop. I turned around and got right out of running for my life And then I took it home with me to give it to my wife But this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet A hobo who was looking for a handout on the street he said he'd take most any old thing, he was a desperate man But when I showed him the, he turned around and ran Oh, when I showed him the, he turned around and ran I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate Until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate and when I tried to take it inside, it told me where to go. Oh, get out of here with that and take it down below. The moral of the story is if you're out on the town and you should see a saucer land or even coming down, don't stop, don't wait, don't look inside. That's my advice to you, cause you'll never get rid of that no matter what you do. Oh, you'll never get rid of that. No matter what you do
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Husker Du with books about UFOs. And before that, Bill Buchanan with The Thing. And before that, Dee Dee Ramone and Joey Ramone with I Am Seeing UFOs. And before that, The Rosillos with Flying Saucer Attack. And before that, Jerk Ward from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with You. F-O. And coming up shortly on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with UFO researcher Richard Dolan, who's in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow as part of the Modern Knowledge Tour that's happening at Library Square. Richard Dolan on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. If you have any questions for Richard Dolan, phone on in 604-822-2487 or tweet me at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, and I can relay the messages to Richard Dolan when he arrives on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Right now, going to continue on with more UFOing. Here's some more Ramones. This time, though, it's the Ramones, the group, the Ramones, doing zero, zero UFO on Denardwar, the human serviette radio show. Zero, 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 zero. 
flying saucer flew down to earth one day. Looked to left and right of it, couldn't stand the sight of it, and said, let's fly away. They took a look at a western movie, somebody heard them say. If a horse can be a star, think how dumb the people are, we'd better fly away. Then they shook their little green antennas, scratched their purple hair. Said this planet is an awful menace, let's go back to where we came from. Two little men in a flying saucer just didn't care to stay. No, Said it's too peculiar here, headed for the stratosphere and quickly flew away. Field in Brooklyn when the Dodgers played a baseball game. Hey! Heard all the screaming, said we must be dreaming, cause the planet is insane. During their mission, heard a politician making speeches as they traveled by. Gabble, gabble, But they departed faster than they started, cause the hot air blew them sky high. Flew down to earth one day Listened to a radio Saw a television show And said, let's fly away They got their fill of commercial jingles And they were heard to say All the people seem to be Living in a nursery We'd better fly away Traveled all around and once they'd seen us Said let's head for space We were better off on Mars and Venus Goodness what a place to live in Two little men in a flying saucer Just didn't care to stay No, no Crossed a crowded thoroughfare Saw the hats the women wear And quickly flew away and quickly flew away One look and then they flew away
again, you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard a song about crispy space bacon, something that guys in UFOs and astronauts eat when they're hungry. And before that, you heard Mojo Nixon with UFOs, big rigs, and barbecue. And before that, Ella Fitzgerald with Two Little Men in a Flying Saucer. And before that, the Ramones with Zero Zero UFO. Coming up shortly on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Richard Dolan, who's part of the Modern Knowledge Tour that's happening tomorrow at Library Square. UFO researcher Richard Dolan. If we head to New York City, there's a band called ESG from the late 70s, early 80s. They have a song called UFO. It made me think about New York, late 70s, early 80s. It specifically made me think about the movie Wild Style. I recently got the Wild Style Break Beats LP, containing all the breakbeats that all the rappers rapped over in the amazing movie Wild Style. You can check it out on YouTube. This particular vinyl I got at Beat Street Records in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And interestingly enough, on the back, the name Flip Out is written. And Flip Out used to be a DJ as well as being on the beat at CITR Radio here in Vancouver. So I'm playing a record that Flip Out probably played on CITR years ago. So while we wait for the landing of Richard Dolan, UFO researcher, going to play a whole bunch of tracks here from the original Wild Style Break Beats album. Again, this isn't the, the rapping. These are the beats that the rappers rapped over for the movie Wild Style. You saw in the movie Fab Five Freddy, Grand Wizard Theodore, Fantastic Romantic Five, a whole bunch of others, the fucking five MCs, the motherfucking five MCs, Grandmaster Flash, and here are the Funky 4 Plus 1, Busy B. Here are the beats from the movie Wild Style. While we wait for the landing of UFO researcher Richard Dolan on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show.
and you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Are you there? Um, I believe that I'm here. Who? <laughs> who are you? I'm Richard Dolan. Uh, I'm going to be in town in Vancouver tomorrow, along with a nice coterie of other people, to uh, participate to do the last stop uh, in a nationwide, across Canada, modern knowledge tour. Uh, we started in Halifax. We've driven across this great country, and we're ending up in Vancouver tomorrow. Uh, I happen to do research and uh, writing on the subject of UFOs and cover-ups and everything related to that. Right off the bat, Richard Dolan, where is Malaysian Flight 370? <laughs> well, in, if it's not in Diego Garcia in the middle of the Indian Ocean, then you've got me. Perhaps maybe... Um, I'll tell you this, I think that uh, NORAD knows, and I think that a couple of intelligence agencies absolutely know, and I think it's very, very interesting and curious that we can't seem to get a straight answer out of anyone, you know? How do you know that they know, and how does NORAD know where Malaysian Flight 370 is? Well, when you look at NORAD, they've got geosynchronous satellites around the world, and they are absolutely comprehensive in um, not simply North American, which is what, you know, that's the N-O in NORAD, but uh, worldwide, they have a global reach, and it just, uh, you know, I think it strikes most of us as completely beyond um, any kind of plausibility that that organization would not have been able to, in an age of commercial air fights being tracked 24-7 constantly, that they just lose it. doesn't make any sense. What has their excuse been? We had it but lost it? Well, I don't think Norad even talks. They, they, don't, they don't deign, they don't lower themselves to talk to the, to the people. Uh, they're rather above that. They don't make statements. So uh, I don't know what they're saying to the world, but um, they're certainly not talking. It's interesting. I mentioned you're a UFO researcher, and that's why I mentioned Malaysian Flight 370, because on three on CNN, on Channel 33 or whatever channel you're watching on in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, one of their poll questions was like, was this terrorists? Was it some other event? Or did extraterrestrials steal? Ah. So how many people thought it was extraterrestrial? Yeah, CNN was even saying that. CNN was suggesting that. Well, I doubt that CNN would actually suggest that. But I, I think it's interesting that there might be people who would, uh, who would think that. And that just shows you something very, very significant about this phenomenon, this subject of UFOs, which is that it gets very little love from the official organs of power in our world. They don't really like to give it credibility. But what you find is that people around the world are remain fascinated by this subject, uh, typically uh, not feeling like they can talk about it publicly until they find someone who's willing to talk about it with them, and then they get excited. This is actually a subject that people genuinely are interested in. They just want, they just need that, uh, that individual to kind of trigger it and to give them some information that they want. And you are UFO researcher Richard Dolan, who's in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow at Library yeah. Square. Do you know the events, and if people want more info on that, where can they get more info? Yeah, uh, I, they should go to our website, which is modernknowledge2014.com. It's part of the Modern Knowledge Tour. We're going to be at Library Square Conference Center. Uh, doors open for registration at 8 a.m. It's going to be an all-day thing. I'll be uh, giving a, a lecture um, my friend and colleague Michael Tellinger will be giving a lecture. Michael speaks about um, really two fundamental things, ancient um, archaeological remains in South Africa, and as well as a way to fight the global financial system with um, a concept known as Ubuntu. I'll be talking about UFO reality and the cover-up and the true structure of secrecy and power as, as it exists in this world. And we'll also have um, um, 
another, we'll have uh, Michael Tessarian on on um, Skype and Carmen Bolter will also be talking about, uh, I believe, GMOs. Is that correct, guys? Pyramids. So sorry, pyramids. I'm getting everything. We're, you have to understand, we've been doing, at times, a new city every day, new lectures every day across the country. So we're, we're, we're trying to remember what we're doing. But I can tell you this, every stop along the way has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, we've gotten fantastic reception from uh, really engaged Canadians who are hungry for what we have to talk about, I have to say. It's uh, been a really gratifying experience. Tomorrow, Richard Dolan at the Library Square. And right now, Richard Dolan, live on the Nardwarda Human Survey Radio Show. If anybody has any questions for UFO researcher Richard Dolan, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Or you can also tweet me, at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. Richard, I want to go back to an old classic, Jackie Gleason visiting the Alien Morgue. What can you tell the people about Jackie Gleason visiting the Alien Morgue? Well, Jackie Gleason, of course, great American comedian, had a uh, very, very strong interest in the UFO uh, flying saucer topic. In fact, had one of the largest personal libraries probably in the world. Jackie Gleason also happened to be a very good friend with uh, U.S. President Richard Nixon. Uh, they did a lot of events together, uh, photo ops, publicity, and so on. And in uh, the early 1970s, they did an event in um, Florida. And at the end of that op, uh, at the end of that photo op, Nixon apparently showed up at Jackie Gleason's door alone. And this this is a, a shocking thing because the U.S. president evading his Secret Service uh, con- contingent. But it is known that Nixon actually did this on a number of occasions. Anyway, he shows up at Gleason's door, and they drive to Homestead Air Force Base, and uh, they get in, and Nixon shows him a room that Gleason uh, later said to a couple of people he thought there were dead children in, inside these glass um, containers until he looked closely and said, my God, these, these are not children. These are non-human beings. Uh, Gleason was so upset about this. He went home and and apparently, like, drank for several days just to, to deal with it, told his wife at the time, a woman named Beverly McKittrick, uh, who wrote about it in an unpublished manuscript. That's how we first learned of it. And Gleason did talk about this to a couple of other people, including um, a, a former U.S. airman that I personally know, a guy named Larry Warren. I think the story is actually probably true. It's as insane as it may sound. But here's the thing that, that makes this, topic so believable to me. The reason, the way I got into it was about 20 years ago. I was working on a doctoral dissertation in Cold War history. It had nothing to do with UFOs, but I stumbled into the, the topic and uh, learned very quickly that there was a substantial declassified literature that dealt with this topic. And uh, I can tell you this, it, it's not any one of those declassified documents proves UFOs are extraterrestrial, but I would say the top 10, the top 20, the top 50 do prove, absolutely prove, that the UFO phenomenon was important, very important to U.S. national security. They had objects that did not look normal, that were violating sensitive airspace, doing all kinds of things that were supposed to be impossible, zigzagging, instant acceleration, and the like, and it got them very, very worked up. So on that foundation, I always come back to that. There are a lot of stories that are unconfirmed, but there are enough that are absolutely confirmed that we know we've got something very, very important here. 
and indeed, I would say, revolutionary in its implications. Richard Dolan, what about JFK taking Marilyn Monroe to a place where, quote, I can inspect things from outer space? Well, you're uh, referring to a... Um, what appears to be a CIA intelligence memo from 1962, the day before Marilyn Monroe died. And this is a, a memo that basically dealt with surveillance of Marilyn and talking about how she was becoming a little bit unreliable. She was starting to talk loose lips at Hollywood parties about uh, pillow talk with JFK. And in that conversation, um, she was apparently talking about how John F. Kennedy told her about a place that he had visited where um, beings from outer space, where bodies from uh, beings from outer space were, were kept. And uh, this is a memo. And again, now some of these memos come through standard Freedom of Information Act requests. This one did not, but there's been a great deal of analysis done of this particular document. And uh, I will say m many of us do believe it is genuine. I, I think it's a genuine document. Richard Dolan, how many times did Eisenhower meet the aliens? <laughs> you asked some really good questions, man. <laughs> uh, can't always ask. There, there's, uh, there's one definite event that Eisenhower is said to have attended. And this was in February of 1954. And the interesting thing about it is that the rumors about this leaked almost immediately. There were, there were rumors about Eisenhower meeting with aliens uh, by late February, early March of 1954. And um, so it's quite interesting. And, and the story is that Eisenhower went to Edwards Air Force Base, which in fact he did go to in February 1954. Um, the official story was that he had dental issues, emergency dental work that had to be done, and he was out of commission for a couple of days. But in fact, there are a couple of sources. Uh, one, a written testament um, after the fact, and in fact, a number of people who were still living, you know, 50 years later, who talked about having been at Edwards Air Force Base, and indeed Eisenhower was there, and it did appear to be a meeting, in their opinion, with extraterrestrials who were here. If that's so, then you could take it a step further and just hypothesize. Why would they be meeting with him in 1954? Well, the U.S. had just been detonating its uh, first atomic or hydrogen bombs, which is an order of magnitude beyond the atomic bombs. And, um, you know, there, there's a definite interest, what we can see in the declassified literature of UFOs with nuclear installations. We see this again and again over nuclear sites, unknown objects just hanging out, and sometimes even disabling the weaponry. So you might hypothesize that they were meeting with Eisenhower about that. That's how the story has been told over the years, if there's truth to it or not. You know, we're, this is a subject in which we're like little kids putting our nose up against a glass window in a darkened store trying to get some information. We have a few facts at our disposal. We know that there's something absolutely real, and there's a lot that we don't know. So I think it's important to distinguish between what you know and what we don't know. For, certainly good to speculate, um, but we have to know what we're speculating about. And we're speaking here live to Richard Dolan, who will be in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow at Library Square as part of the Modern Knowledge Tour. And you can check out more information at modernknowledge2014.com. Richard, I was curious, the Aurora, Texas crash, 1897. There's yep. an alien right now buried in a graveyard that we can inspect. Is that true? A crash from 1897 and an alien buried? And we can go get that alien, but we're not allowed in the graveyard? 
heck of a story. Yeah, back in, uh, you know, a lot of people think that the modern UFO phenomenon started in the 1940s, and in fact, it goes much further back than that. A lot of good cases, some good Canadian cases, by the way, in the early 20th century. But the 1897 uh, Texas case you're talking about, there was a wave of sightings across the U.S. from the western part of the U.S., from California, going all the way east to the central U.S., and even as far as Illinois, there was a series of sightings of what people called airships. Now, in 1897, this is before we had airplanes and uh, even, you know, balloons were really not common. And uh, the dirigibles that later became big like Zeppelins, they were even not in this, uh, in this hemisphere at that time. So, but people were seeing them, they were, and they were seeing things maneuvering, and at times they were talking about encountering uh, beings. Uh, some of these stories might, are, are probably fanciful, but there were so many of them that uh, you really have to wonder what was going on. And one supposedly took place in Aurora, Texas, in April 1897, and it crashed. So it's like before there was Roswell, there was this 50 years earlier. Uh, according to stories, there were uh, beings from Mars. I think they were actually literally refer referred to as Martians, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, buried at this location. So after that whole thing ended, the story kind of died and everyone forgot about it. But years later in the 1970s, the uh, American uh, group called MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, in fact, they're Canadian too, they wanted to investigate this. So they send a guy out there and they um, find this unmarked grave uh, that they believe is of where this being was, was buried. And they try to get a permission to get there. Uh, to open it up, rather, and I'm trying to remember the exact details, but I think, like, the next day that they went to go, or within days of that request, the grave had been uh, exhumed, and whatever was in there was gone. Crazy. It was back, that was back in the 70s. So it really makes you wonder who's, <laughs> who's trying to hide what at that grave in Aurora, Texas, all those years ago. Richard Dolan, what did aliens want? Like the meeting between Eisenhower and aliens, you're saying maybe that was like a human-alien deal? Like what is their objective? You also said that perhaps we are in their cookbook. Well, I, I probably would say that facetiously, but I do think that humanity would be of great interest to any observing intelligences that have the ability to look at us. I mean, when you look at the trajectory of our civilization, look at us just 100, 150 years ago. Back then, we were a society of horses pulling wooden carts, right? And now here we are in a complete... I'm having a phone call with you on a cell phone in a van uh, many, many miles outside of Vancouver. We're having this... I mean, we've just gone off the charts in our ability to communicate, and we're not done. We're shooting up like a rocket ship. If there are any other intelligences that have the ability to observe us, I can guarantee you they're interested in us right now more than ever before because we're about to leap into their world. This is what I think. I think humans are intrinsically interesting. I think maybe our genetics are very interesting. I think life on Earth is very interesting. I think Earth is a really happening place, and uh, my suspicion is that's what other advanced intelligences also think. Why do aliens care about being secret? Yeah, that's a great question, and I wonder about this myself. Um, but think of it this way. Pretend that you and I went back in time a mere 1,000 years ago to some medieval village in Europe, um, we would have to ask ourselves, how much could we tell those people about everything that we are, everything that we know, without their heads exploding, basically? Could we tell them uh, that the Earth traveled around the sun 
that might even be a bridge too far, let alone things like microbes and viruses and tectonic plates and science and iPads and iPhones and everything else. We, it would be impossible, I think, for us to really to explain to them who we are and what we're about. And that's if we have their best interests in mind. If we didn't have their best interests in mind, we would certainly not be truthful. So I think it's actually very difficult. Uh, we humans, we have this expectation, this, this uh, thought, that we're somehow at the top of the, the intellectual food chain. But I do believe that there are uh, dimensions of reality or concepts or states of being that are very probably at the very, very edge or even beyond the edge of our understanding. And my guess is that these other beings are probably in that territory. And it might be hard for them to simply to just explain to us in all of the detail about what their reality is about. Are all the aliens on the same team? Like, for instance, right. some aliens believe something and some believe nothing. I mean, you know, they're fighting each other. Are, 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 are aliens warring each other under the Earth? Well, pure speculation. Um, again, it's something that I've wondered. I, I would think that there might be different factions involved. Certainly when you look at uh, the human intelligence community on, on planet Earth, there are competing factions. It could very well be that there are competing factions among non-humans that are here. You do get a lot of stories of different types of beings that people believe they have encountered. Some look totally human. Some look like the gray aliens that you always hear about. Some look like other types of beings. Are they all together? Is, it, is there an illusion somehow involved in all of this where they're just making themselves look one way or another? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that one can ask here. But again, the fact is that there are certain things we know and certain we don't know. But I'll say this. There is a reality to the phenomenon. It looks to me that some exotic technology has been recovered, particularly by American military. This is being studied in a very secret way, and it's very important for them to keep it secret because... Some of this technology really would be too radical, in their opinion, too revolutionary for our world. Think about something as simple as energy. What if, I mean, really, what if they found a source of energy that's better than petroleum? Would they want to segue that to the rest of the world, or do they think our world would just, you know, our infrastructure would be completely transformed in ways that they don't like? Or if they discovered the secret of, of anti-gravity, something that we speculate is known as electrogravitics. Some of these types of breakthroughs due to studying exotic technology might not, in their opinion, might not be a good thing for them to let it get out because you lose control over people. And we're Maybe not a good thing. And we're speaking here to Richard Dolan, who's coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow as part of the Modern Knowledge Tour that's happening at Library Square in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And right now live on CITR. If you have any questions for Richard, UFO researcher Richard Dolan, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, or you can tweet me at Nardwar. Now, Richard, you are Richard Dolan. How do we know if you are an alien? Are you an alien? How do we detect aliens? Great question. I don't think I'm an alien, Nardwar. Sometimes I wonder. I, I feel a little strange at times when I, when I talk to other people, but uh, I, I think I'm a normal human. But how do we know what an alien is? Great question. All I can tell you is in my own research, I've uh, spoken to a number of witnesses who... Uh, I think I believe them when they talk to me about, uh, about encounters with um, beings who seem 
very, very unusual. And I'm talking about normal-looking human beings who just seem to be able to get into their heads and communicate with them telepathically. These stories sound crazy to someone who's never heard them before, but when you get them five, ten times from completely different people, you have to wonder what the heck is going on. Um, certainly when you talk to an individual who believes they remember an encounter with a non-human gray alien, you know, so these, these, these encounters are out there. Um, but how do I really know? If they walk among us, maybe you'll never know. Maybe that's the situation. Richard Dolan, is your life doomed if you touch an alien? For instance, James Forrestal, the Secretary of Defense, he touched an alien and then was murdered. Could you explain a little bit about that? James Forrestal touching an alien. There's no evidence or proof that Forrestal touched an alien, but I do believe James Forrestal was murdered. In fact, I wrote about this years ago in my first book and caught a lot of guff about it, in fact, from other uh, researchers at the time. But Forrestal's death is so deeply suspicious that I think it's an open and shut case frankly, when you look at all the facts that this man was murdered in 1949, thrown out of the 16th floor window of the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland, uh, not far from Washington, D.C. Forrestal was the Secretary of Defense of the United States at that, uh, or at the time, right up until 1949, uh, was, would be the guy right on the spot dealing with this new phenomenon of flying saucers that had been engaging the U.S. military all through 1946, 47, 48, 49. And it would certainly be an interest and a concern of his. Um, He, in my view, it looks to me that he had become a security risk, was forcibly hospitalized in the spring of 1949 and never left that hospital alive. And we're speaking here live to UFO researcher Richard Dolan on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And want to go to the moon for a second, Richard. Do you ever go to sure. the moon? And I want to go to the moon. The Plato crater on the moon. Is that a UFO base? Don't know. I, I will say uh, there's, there's some very odd things about the moon. Uh, I had a conversation a number of years ago with a scientist uh, named Russell Targ. Russell was one of the uh, scientists who developed the CIA's remote viewing program way back in the 1970s. For those who don't know, remote viewing is basically America's program of psychic spies. Very interesting stuff. And I was told by Russell about a decade ago that uh, back in the 1980s, one of his jobs was to train remote viewers whose job was to view the far side of the moon. And I said, well, Russell, why would they do that? He said, why do you think? I said, well, were they looking for E.T.? And he he said, yes, bingo, they were looking for E.T. I said, did they find E.T.? He said, ah, don't know. That wasn't part of my assignment. But I found it very interesting. I I think he was uh, very truthful with me. You have uh, reasons to think that E.T. is on the far side of the moon? My goodness gracious. Well, that, that is very interesting to me. Uh, on top of that, you've got a number of uh, ex-NASA people, ex-Air Force people, who've talked about airbrushed photos of artificial structures on the far side of the moon. Quite a few of these. Enough to make you think, looks like there may be something going on there after all. 
Before you were on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show here on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show on CITR radio, I played a whole bunch of UFO songs and UFO-related songs, including one called Crispy Space Bacon, which is based <laughs> upon the thesis that if an astronaut goes into space, he'll get turned into crispy space bacon because of all the radiation, and therefore we didn't go to the moon. What do you think about that? Ah, yes. Well, right, you're talking about the Van Allen belt uh, contention that it would have been impossible for a human being to go through that. Uh, I've looked into this, and I'm not a scientist. It's hard for me to make a definitive conclusion. But the scientists that I have spoken to about this have said, no, the Van Allen belt is deadly, especially if you hang out there and don't leave, you will die. Uh, but if you go through it at a high enough speed and you're in it briefly enough, you do suffer molecular damage, but not enough to kill you. Now, that's the story that I've heard. Uh, It's my feeling that we did go to the moon, but it's also my feeling that the moon missions um, had their own clandestine nature to them, and we were not really informed about everything that probably happened on the moon. UFO researcher Richard Dolan coming tomorrow to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada as part of the Modern Knowledge Tour. That's modernknowledge2014.com at Library Square. The Bikini Atoll. Is the Bikini Atoll an alien junkyard? Well, it's certainly a human junkyard. Well, we dropped enough nukes out there to make it one forever and ever. Amen. Uh, there are a couple of stories. Um, I think I'm getting... No, I think I'm, I'm getting my stories mixed up. The Bikini Atoll, not sure about an alien junkyard being there. Uh, I have heard about alien craft being, if I'm not mistaken, off the coast of um, somewhere in the Pacific. San Diego? Yeah, perhaps, that, perhaps that's the place. Perhaps that's the place. There's a lot of, listen, there's a, so many of these very, very interesting stories that just keep coming out. More and more of them. Um, usually what you have are private researchers who have observations that uh, really require, you know, more and more investigators to go out to kind of confirm one way or the other. Richard I couldn't Do- tell you about the bikini atoll, sorry. Richard Dolan, what about the Nazi bell, a time machine? What was the Nazi bell? Was it a time machine? Wow, Nardwar, you're, you're pulling out all the really interesting little tidbits of my field. So let me congratulate you. The bell, or otherwise known as the Glock, was, um, is believed to be a, uh, a device that the, the Germans were working on during the Second World War. Now, to keep in mind, a lot of German physics at that time was unusual. Uh, they really were working on some unusual concepts in physics. And the bell, or the Glock, is said to have been a, a, well, a large bell-shaped object that had a rotating mercury and uh, plasma and was charged in such a way that it gave off a tremendous amount of electromagnetic um, radiation. And, in fact, people would get killed if they were near it too much. But the idea is that it was essentially uh, a way to, to kind of screw with space-time in some way, fashion or another. Uh, it, was, it was said that the, the object did achieve a kind of anti-gravity effect at one point. Uh, how, how far along they really got with this is anybody's guess. It, it is uh, claimed. And this was claimed actually in a, in a denazification trial in Czechoslovakia after the war that um, there were about 60 scientists or so associated with this project and that all of them were, um, were 
were killed, uh, shot in the back of the head, actually, at the conclusion of the war by the Germans so that they wouldn't fall into the hands of another country. Did it show up at the Kecksburg incident? What was the Kecksburg mm-hmm. incident? Well, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, is uh, it's in the western part of Pennsylvania. It's very rural. And in December of 1965, an object did uh, seem to go down there. In fact, an object did go down in Kecksburg. Uh, it was described by eyewitnesses as acorn-shaped and uh, roughly described as around the same size and shape that uh, people had described the Nazi bell. And so for that reason, you get some speculation that, in fact, that's what the Kecksburg object was. It was a later, you know, 20-year-later version of the bell. Maybe. That's what I would say. Maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. It was certainly something that the U.S. military pounced on immediately, sealed off the area, and, in fact, did a lot of intimidation of local witnesses. Uh, to make them shut up, and even possibly was involved in killing uh, the local radio guy who was who had been investigating this. He died very mysteriously a couple of years later. Richard, what about Nazi saucers fighting Americans over Antarctica, and how does that tie into the Thule Society and underground tunnels and reptiles from Venus? <laughs> well, you're you're delving into an area where I think uh, there's a lot less credibility than some of the, the research that I like to focus on when I look at UFO phenomenon. Uh, I just want to say that there are many, many hard facts that we have that we can rely on, and uh, th- this is, again, one of the more uh, unconfirmable and I would almost say fanciful stories. Now, there was a mission to Antarctica at the end of 1946, early 1947, um, large U.S. expedition, in fact, led by uh, Admiral Robert Byrd. Uh, Richard Bird, excuse me, and um, it was called Operation High Jump. And High Jump did end prematurely, this is true, and there were a couple of deaths attributed to the project. Uh, what we don't have is a whole lot of information about it other than a claim that was in a Spanish newspaper in which Bird apparently said that there's uh, dangerous powers that can go from pole to pole and that we're in a dangerous world, and, you know, it's a very ominous type of a statement. But here's the thing. If there was a battle with Nazi flying saucers in Antarctica at the end, you know, at that time, then you have to ask yourself why, within a year and two years later, were there a series of missions that were established exactly in that location without any problem whatsoever? So I I think that the, the Nazi Antarctica story lacks any kind of genuine confirmable data or good research to, to validate it. So I'm not, I'm not really support, a supporter of that particular story. And we're speaking here to Richard Dolan, UFO researcher Richard Dolan, who's part of the Modern Knowledge Tour that's happening tomorrow in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at Library Square. How about incidences that perhaps are more credible to you, like the 1941 UFO crash? Wasn't there a 1941 UFO yes, crash? Cape St. Gerard in St. Louis. A uh, very, very interesting case, and I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, when we talk about UFO crashes, a lot of people think of Roswell in 1947, but in 1941, there's a surprisingly good case to be made for a crash in central U.S. in the state of Missouri. Um, we don't have a whole lot, but we have what we have is suggestive. 
in that uh, one of the, the witnesses is the son, uh, the, excuse me, the daughter of, the, uh, of, a, of a minister who was very close friends with the U.S. Secretary of State at the time, a man named Cordell Hull. Uh, this woman talked years later about what her father had said to her, that uh, he had knowledge of a particular crash that took place in Missouri. He had knowledge of the fact that, uh, I believe, bodies were being stored at the time under the White House. This is before there's Area 51. Uh, this is all connected to the White House or uh, Washington, D.C., that there were alien bodies there, alien technology. What's interesting is that the integrated circuit, uh, which was developed or finalized in 1947, does seem to have a particular geographic uh, connection with, uh, with this particular UFO event. In other words, a lot of the uh, scientific work was done very, very close uh, to where this, this crash would have occurred. And uh, six years earlier, so the, the theory is that, in fact, some of the analysis of that crash resulted in the creation of probably the most important invention of the 20th century, the integrated circuit. How about Turkey 2008? There's some video out there of a oh, Turkey yeah. 2008 sighting, and you can actually see aliens in the actual footage. I saw it well, on YouTube. I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's funny, UFO skeptics always say, well, how come every UFO picture is fuzzy? How come there's no good UFO pictures? And then when you find a good one, a sharp one, they say, well, that's Photoshop or that's nonsense or whatever. You really can't please some of these people. In the case of the Turkish videos, uh, I will tell you, I also have looked into this quite a bit. Um, what you find is that uh, there's a gentleman uh, right by the Sea of Marmara in, in Turkey near Istanbul who um, off the coast, he's got a very, very high-quality uh, telescope with video and he's, uh, for several years, in 07, 08, 09, recorded multiple instances of an object which, from a distance, looked like a very bright star. When you zoom in, it's like a, uh, it's like a craft. It is a craft. And it is also true that on one occasion, when you zoom in enough, you see what look like figures inside this craft. And as insane as it sounds, anyone can find this on YouTube. Uh, this man has been investigated by uh, Turkish researchers, uh, one of whom I know fairly well. Uh, a great deal of work has been done on this case. And in fact, an American researcher, a man who unfortunately recently passed away, Roger Lear, I knew Roger very well, also went to Turkey, met this man, and himself saw those the same UFOs through the telescope. So I think this is a very, very compelling case. You've had uh, skeptics saying, no, no, they didn't see that. They were seeing fishing boat lights off in the distance near the shore, near the uh, level of the water. But that is absolutely not true. And, and um, what this man saw was much higher up in the sky, not explainable in any conventional sense. I consider it a fascinating case. And as you mentioned, viewable on YouTube, Turkey 2008, right. UFO footage. Also, some more proof, question mark, the Russian alien autopsy film from 1969. What do you think about that, Richard, also available on YouTube? Yeah, don't know. Um, that's, that's something that, you know, only has really popped up uh, recently. Uh, what I would like to do is to talk to some Russian uh, UFO researchers who are really who can give the backstory about this in a little more detail. I guess um, my attitude about it is provisional at this time.
Richard Dolan, what about the Rendlesham Forest and John McLean? What can you tell the people about the Rendlesham Forest and John McCain? Uh, I'm not sure you mean John McCain. There's the Rendlesham Forest is, is a site of two U.S. air bases in in the United Kingdom in Britain, uh, Woodbridge and uh, Bentwaters RAF bases. These are American staffed, at least at the time they were. And in December 1980, actually starting on Christmas night and then for several nights after that, there were a series of truly spectacular events dealing with unknown object or objects being seen low over the base, going down, landed in the woods. Uh, two airmen on the first night, one was named John Burroughs and one James Penniston, got very close to this craft. Uh, Penniston apparently touched it even. Uh, saw hieroglyphic-type markings on it and so forth. It was either on the ground or hovering. On the second night, the deputy uh, wing commander of the base, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, led a group of men out to look for this because there were more cases, uh, more sightings of a of an UFO there. And on that particular night, Halt and his men saw a, a craft shine an intense beam of light down to where nuclear weapons were secretly being stored at that base. Nobody publicly knew that there were nukes at this base, but they were there. And according to what Halt said, adversely affected the ordinance. In other words, that beam of light, that laser-like beam, whatever it was, went through the ground, went through layers of concrete and, and dirt, penetrating to where the ordinance was, where the nuclear weapons were, and somehow messed with the nukes. Now, this is a fascinating case that, uh, as researchers look more and more into it, more is found, more is uncovered, and... It's been now 30-plus years, and there's still debates about it, but there's a definite core of what is known and that there was some serious activity going on at that base that doesn't seem easily explainable to this day, at least not any conventional way. I think John McCain was trying to get the medical records of some of the people that were involved in the Rendlesham Forest freed, like the medical records that the U.S. military oh, had weren't well, yes. being freed. There's, there's been a – thank you. Yes, that's right. So there's been an, an effort in the last couple of years by the airmen involved to get those medical records released. Yes, that's exactly right. So good, good for bringing it up. But they have, uh, to my knowledge, those have not been made public yet. Richard Dolan, part of the Modern Knowledge Tour, coming tomorrow to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to Library Square. More info, Modern Knowledge 2014. Winding up here, I want to ask about Area 41. There was a book that came out by Annie Jacobson. Are you familiar with this book, Area 51, An Uncensored oh, yeah. History? And her hypothesis is that it wasn't an alien spaceship spacecraft that crashed. It was a Nazi-era inspired Soviet spy plane crewed by malformed adolescents that yeah. were provided by Josef Mengele, the doctor of death, who altered them to look like aliens from outer space so that when they climbed out of the spacecraft, they would freak out the U.S. people and it would turn into a H.G. Yeah. Wells War to Worlds thing. Right. Well, I, I remember uh, that very, very well. And uh, I can just say I don't know of a single serious researcher who takes that hypothesis with any credibility. Uh, her source, uh, according to what she said, she had one single source who apparently had been in, inside Groom Lake, that is Area 51, who said this to her, and she simply repeated it. Uh, she's, she's not a, a researcher in the field. She really just dove in brand new without any kind of background and and. I mean, any any genuine journalist would have to know that if you're going to put a story out, you need to get multiple 
sources to support it, and she certainly didn't have that. Talk is the cheapest thing in the world. Anyone can give a story. And uh, the whole Mengele connection, I, I just found, I, I think every researcher who's looked into this has said, sorry, no sale. Richard Dolan, winding up here, Canada. You're in Canada. You're coming to yep. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow. You mentioned about Canadian spottings and sightings. Oh, yes, 19, quite a few. 1936, there was some aerial mapping. There were Canadian UFOs oh, in the 50s. I know or- about this. Yeah, I've, uh, well, this is in my newest book, actually, which I've uh, called UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. And this is a case that I, uh, I found that was in, in the Canadian National Archives a number of years ago. You know, back in, uh, back in the old days, a Canadian citizen who saw a UFO could report it to the RCMP, and it would go off to Ottawa eventually, where uh, basically no one would ever investigate these things, but they'd put them in a little file cabinet. And then uh, there's thousands of these you can read yourself if you go to the archives. I read a uh, case written in the early 1980s by an elderly man who said simply, this is a story, I just uh, want to put it out for posterity. He said, when I was 25 years old in 1936, I was employed by the Canadian government to do aerial mapping operations in the northern uh, areas. I mean, think about it. Aircraft were, were new, basically. Opportunities to do serious mapping of those remote regions finally could be undertaken. So this is what he did. And a kind of a cool job if you're 25 years old, right, flying up there. And he had been in, he was in the Northwest Territories in a very remote region of a place called Aylmer Lake, A-Y-L-M-E-R. You can find us on Google Earth. It's, there's nothing there. It's in the barren, barren land region. No, there's no trees up there. Uh, and what he said is that he was, um, his, his aircraft could land on the water, and he was doing a before-flight inspection of his craft, and he happened to look up, he said. Perfect blue sky. And he said, uh, I detected the vehicle in question, completely stationary. How long it had been there, I have no idea. He said it was slightly elongated. No markings of any sort, but it was right there above him. He thought it was large, but he couldn't tell exactly because there was no clouds to measure it against. The man was very meticulous in his report, I have to say. And then he said the object turned its direction from a north-south to an east-west configuration instantly. And then it just took off, he said, at a fantastic speed, without a sound. He said it was at the horizon in a matter of moments, just gone. Didn't leave a contrail, nothing. Uh, I've discussed this case because I was so impressed by the meticulous nature of the witness, the obvious uh, fact that he was not willing, he was not interested in gaining anything. He was not after money. He was not after fame. It was just something that he wrote to the Canadian government because he felt that before he died, he wanted to make this, this statement. He even attached his military service record for the government just to prove his identity although, unfortunately, those were not available to researchers in the archives, so I don't know who this man was. Fascinating story, though, from 1936 in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing up there to this day. Richard Dolan, just quickly, a couple quick last questions here. Who was William Cooper, and do you believe that UFOs are flown by the government just to scare us? Uh, well, I'll answer your last question first. I think, uh, I think there are... There has been technology that has been reverse-engineered by the, we'll loosely call it the U.S. government, for lack of a better word, black-budget operations, and I do think that they are developing their own very radical technology. We would call it flying saucers. Yeah, I think that that's been going on for quite some time. Now, Bill Cooper was uh, a man who was in the U.S. military back in the 60s and 70s, 
um, and then came to prominence in the late 80s and into the 1990s. And Cooper himself had a, a fairly dramatic UFO sighting while he was in the U.S. Navy, he said he saw an object come out of the water and take off. One hears these stories every now and then. But he's best known uh, for essentially kind of creating a grand uh, theory as to how this is all going together, talking about you know control over the UFO secret by international groups, uh, Illuminati, Bilderbergers, and so forth, and talked about, uh, well, sort of a grand melange of theories as to how this is all coming together. Cooper did say that, uh, you know, like, for example, during the Kennedy assassination, that it was the driver who shot JFK. This is not borne out by forensic analysis of, of, the, um, of the video. And he made a number of other claims that a lot of researchers have taken issue with. But Cooper was a fascinating guy, and... Um, was certainly very much responsible or largely responsible in the early years for putting out some of the really more uh, out there kind of scenarios that um, that we hear about to this day. And people can check you out, Richard, tomorrow at Library Square in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That's part of the Modern Knowledge Tour. That's modernknowledge2014.com. Speaking of TV or events and stuff, what do you think about the TV show America Unearthed? Oh, gosh, I don't think I've seen that one. So you'll have to tell me about it. It's a show, America on Earth, where they go and they, like, look for rocks that maybe have, like, secret writing on them and stuff like that. Ah, and basically also was wondering, do you know the movie Mirage Men at all? Yes, well, in fact, I, uh, I appear in it, so I'm, I'm familiar with it. Uh, what can you tell the people about that? Because that's an interesting story. It's about the FBI telling a guy everything was real. He told the guy that there really are aliens because he thought it wasn't a... What was this? It's a very interesting thing. Well, yeah, it? the story, this is, it's a very interesting story. It concerns a man whose name was Paul Benowitz. This is back in the 1970s and, and 80s. Benowitz lived in Albuquerque, right, really, facing Kirtland Air Force Base, which is a very important U.S. Air Force Base. Benowitz uh, had, was a defense contractor. He was a very intelligent, technically sophisticated man who, um, with a lot of his instrumentation, was detecting some bizarre goings-on over Kirtland Air Force Base, uh, including what he believed were UFOs, flying saucers, or some kind of technology that was moving around detecting strange uh, transmissions, he believed were some type of communication, and as a patriotic citizen, uh, brought it to the attention of Kirtland Air Force Base and said, hey, you got some strange stuff going on there, buddy. Um, this got the attention of CIA, got the attention of Air Force Intelligence, got the attention of the NSA. Uh, suddenly, everyone descended upon Paul Benowitz. Um, so then the question becomes, what did they do to him? It does appear that there is a disinformation campaign against Benowitz. That, that's exactly right. Um, now, the real question, however, is what did Benowitz actually see in the beginning? Uh, it's very, I think it's easy, and this is the maker of Mirageman makes this case, that Benowitz is really seeing nothing more than advanced U.S. technology tests. Um, but the fact is, Nardware, there's, uh, there is some very... Very bizarre things going on at Kirtland Air Force Base that uh, I do not believe are simply explainable as tests of U.S. advanced weaponry. I think Benowitz was actually seeing something truly bizarre, and that that was why he had to be disabled. 
And the government was saying to him that, hey, you're not seeing something bizarre. All you are is seeing aliens, like the government was admitting that they were aliens? No, that's actually not, not exactly right. Uh, Benowitz, Benowitz was fed a couple of documents. He was fed at least one document that was where, the, where, NASA, where NSA was changed to NASA to hide the NSA's involvement. He was given a lot of uh, hints that really took him away from Kirtland Air Force Base and toward a place called Dulce, New Mexico, where if they were trying to uh, distract him, the argument is that they were trying to lead him to Dulce, not to uh, Kirtland Air Force Base. So um, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, the, the claim is that the whole alien uh, underground base thing was concocted by the Air Force. And in fact, that's, in my view, my research does not really fully bear that out. There's a much, much broader and deeper connection to all of that. And lastly, lastly here, Richard Dolan, do you have a favorite episode of The X-Files at all? Like, what about Josie, oh, golly. Ch- <laughs> Josie, Josie Chung's It Came From Outer Space? Do you remember that one with Alex Trebek and Jesse Ventura? That, I do indeed. I, uh, back in the day, I thought The X-Files were a really fun and interesting show, and I usually call most of them. And I remember that episode. Jesse Ventura was, a, was one of the men in black saying... You saw the planet Venus. Remember, the planet Venus, or something like that. He was great, wasn't he? Um, I don't know. I think uh, I always enjoyed the, the UFO X-Files-oriented episodes. I thought those were probably the most interesting ones. I thought they had a pretty cool story arc going there for a while. Do you have any favorite UFO songs? Oh, I guess I like uh, Creedence Clearwater's It Came Out of the Sky. Well, we're going to end right now on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show with a UFO song by a band called Tampax, and it's from Italy in the 1970s, and it's called UFO Dictator by Tampax. And again, please, Richard, if you could tell the people where you're going to be tomorrow and what's going on. Uh, tomorrow, I, will, I just lost my laptop, but I will be, maybe one of the boys can help me out here. At Library, library Square. Oh, here right? we go. Yes, Library Square. Looking right at it now. Uh, golly, we are going to be at the Library Square Conference Center, Vancouver Public Library, 350 West Georgia Street, Vancouver. Uh, Doors open at 8 for registration. Lectures begin at 9. In fact, I'll be starting at 9 a.m. If, uh, if you're interested, go check it out. And then after that, there will be individual uh, speaker workshops. I'll be giving a workshop which will be dealing... Uh, with people who've had bizarre experiences that they want to talk about. I think it'll be quite interesting. Uh, Michael Tellinger will be giving a workshop on, uh, on Ubuntu, which is his, his field of study. So um, I think it'll all be very, very interesting. And Dr. Carmen Bolter will also be giving her workshop lecture on pyramid power and consciousness. So um, people can check that out. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Richard? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, we live in a world in which I think just beyond the fence of what our official reality is supposed to be is something very, very interesting that I think has been kept off limits to us in terms of what, officially speaking, we're, we're told we're supposed to believe. And that thing on the other side of the fence is a highly advanced infrastructure, whether it's fully human or whether it's partly human and partly non-human, is almost of secondary uh, concern. The fact is that there. Uh, is, I think, overwhelming abundance of evidence that there is highly advanced technology, that there are very 
real solutions to some of our technological issues today that are being worked at in what we call the black budget world. Some of this does appear to be uh, something of very high strangeness, things that we connect with the UFO phenomenon. There's something very real, something very important there. And the fact, honestly, that it's associated with mainstream public ridicule most of the time tells me that this is something of, of great importance, that it has to be disabled almost with you know per- total regularity year after year after year. But, in fact, what I'm finding in the 20 years I've been researching this is that there's a, a tremendous amount of interest that the general public does have. Again, once they realize that there are people who are serious about it, and who are willing to talk about it. They become interested. They want to know. There's a hunger for knowledge about this subject, as there should be. It is the greatest mystery of our time. Well, thanks so much, Richard. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do 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 Oh, yeah.